Okay, so I'm going to patch in our mystery guest. Okay. <laughs> so let me see where they are. And then they have sent me their video, so I'm going to upload this to Slack so you can get a hold of it. Okay. Yeah, so go ahead and download that one because that's the one we're going to look at first. Okay, so Rob, today, uh, in an effort to keep things um, exciting, uh, uh, particularly for you, we have a a mystery guest um, that I, I brought on, and you don't know who it is. I've been thinking on it for two weeks. Oh, do you want to make some guesses? No, no, no. We... Okay, cool. Yeah, let's just let it happen. So, so right now they are um, listening with bated breath and a okay. muted microphone. Um, and we're going to upend our normal structure where uh, we have the guest in the middle. Yes. And they've requested to go first. And perhaps their uh, project has some, some bearing on the, on the surprise aspect. So... <clears throat> So our challenge this time around is future nostalgia. Yes. Pretty great. Yes, that's a good one. Shout out to David Picciuto for that challenge. Yes, indeed. David David had such a wonderful project. Yes. Um, and I had, a lot of, I had a lot of fun with this one. How about you? Same. I, I had some panicking also. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> How did the panicking um, exert itself? How did it manifest? Mm-hmm. Well, I'll let, I'll let you look at the date stamps on my files <laughs> and you can determine <laughs> Indeed. But it's the best project you've ever done, right? It's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you go ahead and do the uh, intro stuff, and then we'll we'll get right down to our mystery oh, yeah. project. Sounds good. Okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> wait, wait, okay. What's so funny, man? Just, just that someone's listening, yeah. like, a, like yeah. a voyeur? Yeah, there's someone in the background. Okay. That's right. Welcome to Opposable Thumbs, a podcast where Taylor and Rob tackle a new creative challenge every two weeks and talk about our accomplishments, failures, and lessons learned. Future nostalgia is our challenge this episode. Thanks to our previous guest, David Picciuto, for that challenge. And we have a mystery guest this episode that I don't know who it is, but we'll find out. Greetings to the mystery guest. What a mystery guest. My name is Rob Ray. I use he, his gender pronouns. I'm a designer by day and an artist by night and make music and objects using the name Shimmering Trash Pile. And I'm Taylor Hokinson. I'm an artist, educator, DIY enthusiast, CAD cam evangelist, noted tall person, Midwestern Viking, and I'm a he, his kind of guy. All right. We're doing it. We're doing so, it. So, Rob, I think we're just supposed to dive right in okay. and look, because um, I want to save any kind of general discussion for us all three to be there. Very good. So, Rob, I have the video up. Um, shall we just play it on three, two, one, go? Yeah, sounds good. Okay, three, two, one, play it. So we get white text. Yep. Yep. I appreciate about opposable thumbs. The digits on my hands that separate me from most other animals. <laughs> so useful. And the podcast. Also useful, but differently. But wait. Do tell before i go on so we're just reading the text that's appearing on the screen yeah yeah it's like a little simple animation maybe you would like to switch off reading aloud sentence by sentence that way i guess taylor this is you podcast listeners can follow along 
But is it really sentence by sentence, Rob? Oh, I guess I guess that's right. I guess that's right. I think we're doing it, Rob. Let's start over. Rob, you start. Oh, wow. There are many things I appreciate about opposable thumbs. <laughs> okay, your turn now, Taylor. The digits on my hand that separate me from most other animals. Back to you for the next one, Rob, and so on. So useful. <laughs> and the podcast, also useful but differently. For instance, I appreciate, amongst other things, let's go card by card. Witnessing a loving friendship between two men. <laughs> Dude, that's us. Aww. Who inspire each other and are not afraid to be vulnerable in public. <laughs> have no other setting, Rob. Or if they are afraid, they are willing to be vulnerable in public anyway. Perhaps future nostalgia has something to do with vulnerability. Whoa. Or the risk of exposure to unpredictable and possibly destabilizing feelings. Challenges for which we might not be entirely prepared. I hear that. I appreciate that Opposable Thumbs fans can listen. To practices we more often experience as visual. Transposition. Which is what making is also. Perhaps also what future nostalgia is. A transposition of feeling from one time to another. I further appreciate the ways Opposable Thumbs offers a platform and a welcome. To all kinds of makers broadly defined. Or perhaps also undefined. Perhaps we are always in a process. Of ongoing undefinition and redefinition. Perhaps that too is related to future nostalgia. Nostalgia is a term first coined as such. As a term, because surely the feeling pre-existed the term. By a Swiss physician named Johannes Hoffer in 1688. To reference the painful and melancholic longing. For an element of one's past or perhaps for one's past self. I think the term itself references home, so perhaps. The suggestion is that memory is a kind of home. Or perhaps it's the only home. Or perhaps longing itself is what constitutes home. Is future nostalgia then a melancholic, or perhaps effervescent, being future-oriented, longing or leaning towards the future? Parentheses. I'll resist a reference here to the problematic yet sort of enticing idea of leaning in. <laughs> or is future nostalgia an imagining of the future, where one feels nostalgia for the present, which will, in the future, be the past, and hence might still be renegotiated, in response to the imagined future nostalgia? So perhaps less regretful and more actionable. Some kind of circular reasoning in which our future selves experience a corrective to regret. Or some kind of slowing of the hurdle that is how we arrive at the future. Or is future nostalgia a longing for what has not yet come to pass? A kind of nostalgia for anticipation? Question mark. And along with gratitude, anticipation is one of my personal favorite feelings. So speaking of anticipation, Rob, do you know yet who you're guest is take a guess who is it i would say it's jen hoffer <laughs> no really please, no really please guess well at the risk of well, undermining a feeling of anticipation you've perhaps been harboring for some time remember how you received a mystery gift for your birthday this past july and there's only one person in the world other than yourself who could possibly know you received a mystery gift <laughs> yep that's me your person <laughs> oh i'm so curious what the gift was and your gift is that finally, after asking me for only about two years, <laughs> I, Jen Hoffer, am your guest on Opposable Thumbs. Hooray, there it is. Oh my gosh. <gasps> Hello, Jen. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, Rob, be honest. Was the, uh, was the jig up when I was texting Jen when you were looking at her phone for directions on Thanksgiving? 
Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> Red. You successfully shook me off the scent a number of times. Because I was like, I wonder if it's Jen. And I was like, mm. One of my favorite ones was Jen and I were conspiring on how you would just give her the fancy microphone. Um, and so I sent you a text and said, Rob, how do you think we're going to get the microphone to our person? And then you actually offered to give it to Jen as a go-between. I was so excited when that happened. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So Jen, did we, did we perform your video how you had hoped? You did perform my video exactly how I had hoped, although that wasn't my project. That was just my intro. I have a project, oh. and I can still Whoa. go in the middle like the Twofer. guest always does. That sounds great. Oh, snap. Yeah. I had no idea. So, yeah. so, Jen, would you like to do your self-intro since now you've been exposed? Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. I didn't prepare an intro. Who am I? Would you like to introduce me? N- no. <laughs> <laughs> well, my only because I, I would be very insufficient at it. So they need no introduction. Well, it's true. You You've only known me for eleven years. Yes. Um, my name is Jen Hoffer. I use they/them or she/her pronouns. Slight preference for they/them. Do not feel misgendered by she, and I'm happy to talk about that with anyone anytime. That's what I've started saying in the many, many circles and go-arounds where I get to say my name and my gender pronoun. I live in Los Angeles, a 12-minute bicycle ride from Rob Ray, with whom I have been in a yes. relationship for 11 years. I long have listened long ass time. I have listened to every episode of this podcast, though I can probably only remember a couple of them. I write poems and translations from Spanish into English. I write essays. I make DIY books. I knit. I bicycle. I'm part of two collectives. One is called Antena Aire that uses cross-language practice as a generative creative strategy for making collaborative written and visual and installation artworks. And I am part of a local language justice collective called Antena Los Angeles, that supports local community groups and nonprofits in creating equitable communication across language difference. I am also an interpreter and probably other things too, which may or may not be revealed in the next hour. We're going to dredge it all up. I hope you all researched my work before getting on the show, as you do with all of your guests. We've, we've got a whole team. We do. Although most of the team members are five and under. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I pay mine in um, cookies. <laughs> Good. Keep them energized. Keep them energized. So, um, Rob, do you um, have questions for Jen, as, <laughs> as we <laughs> sometimes do? Or do you think it makes more sense to look at projects and, and have conversation arise that way? I do have one question. How does it feel <laughs> to be on the podcast? Yeah. Well, I've only just begun. Um It feels kind of strange, actually. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if it feels like how it felt when you had Chris Riley on the show, who is also a good friend of both of yours, only more so. You think of him as more of a friend of ours than you? (laughs) No, I meant the other way around. That if it feels Chris Riley-ish, only more so with me. I don't know. Because often you either have a person on the show who one of you knows, um, 
or you have a person on the show who neither of you knows personally, but you might both know artistically. I feel like when I have people on that I know, uh, I get to know them better or differently because I sort of research them in a way I wouldn't yes. normally. Like, like Jen, you're one of the few friends of mine that has a Wikipedia page. I do. It's got, it's got a bunch of stuff on here. It has a section about your life. Do you want to hear what's on it? <laughs> yeah. Oh, thank God. <laughs> Jen Hoffer was born in San Francisco and lives in Los Angeles. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> That's, both of those things are true. Yeah. But they hit, there's a bunch of stuff on here about your works and the ISBN numbers and all that stuff. Yeah. So yeah, you got some um you got some followers making sure that you're you're I mean, I'm sure that this is underselling your C V, but you should take a look at it. I will. Not maybe not while I'm recording page. myself. I will take a look at it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Rob, Rob you don't have one, do you? No. I'm gonna make one for you right now. <laughs> I had for the longest time when I I think I started making I mean, not as early as Rob, but I started making my own webpage at least 10 years ago or like 15 years ago or something. But for the longest time, if you'd Google Taylor Hokanson, it would come up and say, uh, do you mean Taylor? Um, wait, who are the guys that sang Mbop? Oh, Tippy top. Um, uh, <laughs> Hanson. Hanson. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's Hanson. A, do, you, do you mean Taylor Hanson? It's like, no, I've clearly spelled it super differently. <laughs> and so I, I felt so excited when I finally got over Taylor Hanson or, or Google got over Taylor Hanson. So, Jen, you you were talking about the first thing you Googled. The first thing I found when Googling was um, this website, the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows. Did anybody else find that? No, no but I want to find it. I need to read through it, and it's it's a little maudlin, but um, one of the terms they had in there, uh, so they basically just make up words to um, describe something for which there's no word in the English language. So, uh, anamoya is the one if I'm pronouncing that correctly, which is a nostalgia for a time that you've never known. So something kind of similar. Um, Anyway, so that was kind of a a cute one. I think that's just somebody's ongoing project where they just do it for fun. So Rob, who do you think should go first? Oh, I think you're first. Uh, Okay, mine mine is pretty straightforward. Do you want to take the first image, Jen? I am on OK Millennial 01. Yep, me too. I'll start. So um, on a background of a um, <laughs> soothing yet effervescent sea with waves frothing against brown, slightly craggy, potentially volcanic rocks and a similarly cloud-frothed sky we have a text box on top of that image that says in all caps, black, all caps on white box, intracranial data shunt, antifungal cream in increasingly large <laughs> letters that are also fit into the same justified box. And underneath it, it says hashtag okay millennial. <laughs> I have a sense this is a, a, a millennial of a different millennia. <laughs> Could yeah. be. I mean, I don't know. Fungi still exist even in yeah. our millennium. I'll take uh, image number two. Ooh, we have like a red splattered onto a pane of glass, and there's like cloudy, milky, light blue puffs of smoky, weird liquid in the background. I'm not sure what that is. And it says in large text in um, kind of tall font, it says stress-induced stuck corneal overlay pixels 
Hashtag OK Millennial. So the first image seems like it potentially was a <clears throat> solution to a millennial problem, the antifungal data shunt cream, uh, whereas the second one seems to be a problem that may or may not be resolved by antifungal cream. Yes. Uh, okay, image three. Uh, we have uh, also large text in an all-justified box. The image is quite blurry, even with my glasses on. Um, it is, uh, the background is kind of like grass and maybe there's like very blurry trees in the far background. And then there's like a semi robotic looking, or perhaps a Buddha, hard to tell, um, sort of fetchingly lying on their side, uh, <laughs> face forward. And it says insect, oh, uh, completely different font, still all caps. What would you call this font, Rob? Like sort of, um, uh, millennial hobo. Yeah, it's like stylized. It's very, it's almost surf looking or something. Or it could be, if yeah. if we had a different um, texture, it could be wood. This font could be done in fake wood. Um, insect protein biscuit crumb keyboard malfunctions. So we're still in the world of data and or pixels and or digital lifestyle. Yes. Hashtag okay millennial. Oh yeah, they all say hashtag okay millennial, right? So far, yeah. Okay, next image is, wow, this one's interesting. It's like, I love these backgrounds. This background is like billowing ink, cloudy puffiness. It's like someone injected um, food coloring into like clear resin. And there's like kind of laurel lines on either side of this text. And it says, black market crisper injection site tenderness. That's amazing. This is so... um. William Gibson, I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what I was going for. <laughs> it also looks kind of like crinoline or like those shower, yeah. puffy colored things that people use in the shower. Yeah. Uh, background image is of a person who looks like a woman and a person who looks like a man wearing bathing suits. She's wearing a bikini, he's wearing shorts, and they are jumping into a body of water. And the faux plaque university font uh -huh. on sweatshirt, <laughs> all yes. caps, says mandatory Mandarin edupunishtainment pop quizzes <laughs> with the requisite OK Millennial hashtag below. Next one is, um, ooh, like lots of painted squashy this paint one's background. This really artsy. It says acne-induced biometric authentication errors. Oh, man, that's so good. I'm really hoping that all of the backgrounds are things that Taylor actually made. This is all stock imagery. It's the future after all. Yeah. Our lives are made of stock imagery. All right. So our, yeah. our background stock image is of a very weathered wall with paint flakes coming off of it, white paint flakes with two yep. black stripes and then red below also sort of peeling back. You can see some, uh, like maybe that used to be a sign or something painted on there, or like uh, wheat pasted on there. And above that is a, Yellow square with uh, yet another font, all caps, that says subdermal 32G antennae migration keloid tissue. And then we have our hashtag OK Millennial. OK, the next one is um, in a, kind of a frothy ocean if you're like staring over the edge of a boat. Or wastewater treatment plant, potentially. And uh, the uh, text is gig economy laparoscopic surgery surge pricing. 
we just spent some time in the Bay Area, and I have to say this all feels very San Francisco. It does. It does. Yeah. Hashtag OK Millennial. And our final image is an even frothier, extremely frothy wave crashing against a low, rocky shore uh, with kind of yellowish, orangish sky, very stormy. Uh, the ocean is sea green, and we have um, a, a squished hexagon with some fashionable crossed arrows that says, unfashionable micro-drone haircuts. Hashtag OK Millennial. Yeah, that one's very third wave coffee shop. It's good. It is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I got the pun. Third wave. Wave. Got it. Oh. I didn't realize how many ocean backgrounds I had in there. I really spammed the ocean background, didn't I? It's nice. It's very like dreamy future state. It's very like um like sea punk meets like neuromancer. <laughs> it's nice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm thinking about future nostalgia mm-hmm. as a concept. And millennial sorrows in the future and things we might feel nostalgic for the older versions of. It's apparently now okay to use a preposition at the end of a sentence, as I just really awkwardly did. Um, Yeah, I guess I'm trying to think about the relationship of all of these images so that we're not just describing the images, Rob, but also describing our reactions to them or our thinking about them in relationship to future nostalgia. And I guess I'm thinking about some of the problems or challenges that we as nascent digital humans experience now and then what those might morph into in the future and then feeling nostalgic about what seemed like problems now, which may feel less problematic if we have to deal with, for instance, uh, gig economy, laparoscopic surgery, surge pricing. Yeah. I mean, you pretty much hit it on the head. So yeah, once millennials are old enough to, okay, boomer, um, then these will be the problems that they will be looking back on. (laughs) Yes. And they'll be looking back on them using only stock imagery because nothing else will exist these would make really good graffiti pieces for some reason, I feel like. Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Mm-hmm. Oh, I should think about that. Yeah, so the last thing I'll say about it is that I did this in Adobe Spark, which I hadn't oh. messed with before. And part of my idea was I wanted everything to be super yes. canned, you know, yeah. so they're all just like stock effects and fonts and everything. Um, and it's it, streamline, it streamlines it in a way where you can get a fair amount of variety, as you can see, but it all has that kind of like general crapping effect of um, stock everything, which also seemed like a future aesthetic. So That's great. Yeah. How would you describe Spark, Taylor? I mean, this is my only time using it, and I used the web app for uh-huh, it. Uh-huh. Um, it was a little hard to figure out. Uh, there's some weird things about it, like I couldn't figure out how to move things forward and back in layers and so forth. Yeah, so right, right. It was like a reduced version of some kind of meeting between Photoshop and Illustrator for very specific purposes where they would give you, you know, all the presets were things like um, LinkedIn update or Instagram story or this or that. So it was kind of reflecting really um, contemporary uh, digital platforms. That's cool. Um, But it was also just kind of the blatification. I mean, everything on there, as you guys started to point out, like the crossed arrows and so forth. Uh I mean, uh that stuff is so familiar and so overdone. Like it has to be overdone by the time it hits something like Spark, it seems like. Yeah, yeah. It's like a tool for content creators who have no content. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah. And I mean, part of it was just, I, I don't tend to express my stuff through writing. Right. So I felt like I didn't feel confident enough just to have a text file with nine of these in them. So I, I tried expressing it that you way. Did, it was great. They were great. They're very evocative. Hey, thanks. All right. So should we take a look at Jen's Let's work? Let's do it. Yep. I wish to have the life where I could challenge myself to make something very far outside my wheelhouse or not something I'm already working on, but I don't have that life. Uh And I also have a really exciting thing happening where a poet translator in Brazil wants me to finish the book I'm working on so that he can translate that book into Portuguese um, into Brazilian Portuguese and publish the book in Sao Paulo. So I'm really excited to work on these poems. So instead of doing something, taking the challenge to do something super far outside what I normally do, I took the challenge um, to do something that is really hard for me, which is a central part of my practice, which is to write a poem. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read you the poem. It won't take very long. These poems take about a minute and a half to read out loud. So for those who are squeamish about poetry, you can either daydream for the next minute and a half or you know it'll be over quickly. Um, And then I... That's like the warning for for there may be, if there's children in the car, you may want to skip this. (laughs) Yes, there are. We have an unbeeped version on our website. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, Exactly. As I was writing the poem or preparing to write the poem, I took a bunch of photographs, and those are the images that you have. So what I thought could happen is that I will read to you, and you can read along, you can have the text in front of you, and then, as with textual analysis generally, or any kind of critique generally, I would like to invite you, Taylor and Rob, to talk about what this poem felt like it was about for you or what words or phrases or images stand out for you, or what are some feelings that the poem elicited. And then you can take a look at the photos and see if you relate the photos, the images, to any of the aspects of the poem itself. So it will be sort of an inversion of what we normally do on the podcast. Okay. Are you game for that? Yes. Mm -hmm. Conditions. What unison unsung used body sprung, what springing body recoiling from its pending value, what tuneless incremental measurement against detonation taken back from a historical fact pending, what consideration contamination enumeration, what history skeletal becomes hollow unmarrowed bones of 733,000 awaiting judgment, What corrodes by being ignored, more than 50,000 exposed to murderous protection on the far side of a demarcation built out of what? Who is trained to take and whose tally is taken to task? What supine ledger eminently devoured? What shroud, what tattered exhalation, what slender gray feather under the overpass or porcelain or silhouette plucked away? What shredded silhouettes behind shadows, behind shadowy, wheeling, crashing chemistry, cultivating exception or exactitude? 26,568 granted entry into a system stacked against what corridored benefits behind doors, behind doors blanketing invisible flocked metallic sky, 
poisonous, airless, laborious, oxygenated breathing, geological or genealogical, what unbiological fact simmering in the dusty shimmer of detention and removal, detection and eradication, what sedated, spotlit, zigzagging path of broadcast surveillance cracked the sky that hadn't seemed like a sky until an imagined future, unimagined projectile jettisoned off the edge of the edge of just one more breath. What one more breath, refusing alveolic posture might saturate, what saturation ancestrally refracts, farther sutures precarious tactile communication ballooning, what ballooning learning by rote or by river caged our refusal to submit. All right. Fine. Yeah. I feel like I'm, I'm to really give a response to that. I'm going to have to spend more time with it than we have on the podcast. Yeah. 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 But I'm certainly happy to offer my first, my first impressions regarding the images. And yeah. And so, Taylor Jenton has given us um, about 18 images. Should we each maybe pick two or three and talk to ones, maybe describe the ones that speak to us in relationship to the poem? Yeah, I think I'm going to look through the whole bunch. Cool. I can go first, too. If yeah, do it. The first image is um, is a, like a power tower, like a, like a power line, one of the larger towers that are made out of crisscrossing metal and that one really spoke to me um as a kind of skeletal when it the part in the poem where it says what history skeletal becomes hollow unmarrowed bones that was a really interesting kind of um correlation between that image of this piece of a power tower in that part of the poem um yeah i'm really responding to this picture where there's a bunch of um out-of-service old postal boxes that are all kind of yep. clustered in a little concrete area surrounded by buckets. Yes. It's almost like they're bucket children <laughs> of the larger containers, and they're locked behind a fence. Exactly. Kind of milling yeah. around. Yeah, yeah. And the foregrounding um, of the fence, there's a chain-link fence that's like framing. It's like looking through the hole on a chain-link fence, but the chain-link is framing the photo, so it really feels like mm-hmm. you're on the other side of these mailboxes and buckets yeah it's really cool Mm -hmm. yeah the notions of uh, demarcation and lines um, where something exists on one side or another of some kind of division also um, things being uh, you know drained of their biological nature so while there's um, pigeons that show up here and there um, I think many people don't even really think of pigeons as a life form (laughs) you know they're just sort of city Mm -hmm. elements like um like that electrical tower, or uh, perhaps there's some birds in uh, image number 12, but they're so far away again as to just be little visual pieces. And then it's interesting how that um, pops up into the air and you get some examples of um, photographs that I assume are taken out of a plane, uh, but they're cropped in such a way where, uh, you know, the vehicle is not in evidence at all. They're just these sort of really remote and lonely uh, pictures of landscape. Yeah, and one of the pictures of the landscape is looks like it's taken out of the window of an of a plane, perhaps. Mm-hmm. But it has a very wispy, almost brownish hue to it. And that made me think of the line or the section in the poem that says, Crack the sky that hadn't seemed like a sky until an unimagined future, unimagined projectile jettison off the edge of the edge. Which was a I don't know, was just like a really cool, like towering part of the poem that this very image from very high up was evoking i really like this like combination of photo and 
like leaving us to glue the pieces together. It's really nice. I also appreciate that the um, the text hasn't been broken up where a certain yes. part of the text corresponds to a certain image. I mean, of course, I, I took that route, and I feel like in this case, it's so important that there's this wall of this run-on sentence where you don't really have any room to breathe. And yep. um, like I have trouble remembering specific parts of the poem because it's so muscular in that way that I think it really... Um, uh, kind of knits together into an overall impact as opposed to holding out its individual lines as precious, you know? Yeah. Cause it's written, we can see the the docx file and it's like one hunk of a paragraph, like yeah, and all lowercase. So it's, it's left for us to kind of divide up into the hunks that our brain decides to pick from, as opposed to Jen telling us how to segment the poem. Although having it read aloud does segment it somewhat, but that's mostly because she has to breathe. At yes. This yeah. Point. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I was going to make a poem for the podcast and shout out to Matthew Shinoda, a poet I love who you had on the podcast before, um, yeah. who also made a poem for the podcast. And I hope as that did some... F Douglas Brown. Exactly. Mm-hmm. As did F Douglas Brown, a beloved friend um, and also favorite, favorite poet. Um, I have many favorites, don't like to pick favorites. Um, but I had originally thought about making kind of a photo essay, quote unquote, about the making of the poem to walk you through the making, like you walk, like you and your guests normally walk people through the making, but I just couldn't do it in a way that didn't feel completely plotting. Like now this goes with this phrase, this image elicited Mm -hmm. this phrase because I don't work that way. That's not true, first of all. But also it just felt like this incredible reduction of the elasticity and and sort of musculature, as to use your word, Taylor, to riff off your word, of the poem. So it didn't work at my original idea. Not unlike some of the other experiences on the podcast, my original idea didn't work at all. Um, (laughs) So I had to go at it backwards and then it felt like it could work better. I thought it worked great. Yeah, we'll post these photos on the website if that's okay with you, Jen. And so that way people can uh, go to projects.opposablepodcast.com and check them out. Yeah. Also with a copy of your poem, if that's cool with you too. Of course, yeah. yeah Great. Assu- assuming our web intern actually gets off his ass and gets that done. Oh, Who's <laughs> yeah. the web intern? Taylor Hokinson? Yeah, that's me. Uh-huh. That's me. <laughs> I don't know if we have time for it. We don't have to have time for it. But I wrote a second poem also. So this is from a book called Conditions, where there's three kinds of poems um, only in the whole book. There's these conditions poems, like the one you saw. So Taylor, the formal gestures that you were noticing about it being all one single sentence and one block of text with no line breaks. Um, All Mm. of the conditions poems are like that. They also all have certain other characteristics, which I could go into or not, but they're all exactly the same length, 235 words. And another shout out to a poet I hope will appear on the podcast. They started out as a collaboration um, with T.C. Tolbert, uh, the poet laureate of Tucson, Arizona, and a dear, wonderful friend as well. Um, And then there's this another series of poems called Conditioning that have certain other characteristics. And I wrote a conditioning poem to try to address future nostalgia more directly, although as poems tend to do, it didn't end up being direct at all great let's do it yeah it's just a draft too it's not done conditioning i'm sitting in a kitchen built 99 years ago while someone else is unable to move due to induction and intubation while someone else is unable to move due to internment while someone else is unable to move due to interment 
Who cannot be counted and who cannot refuse to be counted? Dear Dada, there is too much of you and not enough ground. Or the ground crumbles the more I try to cultivate. Researching the possibilities for saving the tree, a so-called Chinese elm, which was not possible unless I wanted to prioritize saving the tree over saving the house, purchased from the son of the man who built it by my ex and me before she was my ex, took a few months, accounting also for worry time, decision-making time, and time to question the decisions made. Fatty Judah writes, No shards, where one is bound to no place in the first place. All shards. I know some of the reasons why I am here, and know it is likely there are other reasons I'm here that I do not yet and may never know. And I am also here to tell you that definitive action, like tree removal, for example, does not preclude continuing to question the decision to take said action. What can we actually unlearn? Removing the tree took a few hours. Perhaps cultivation is the problem. Stewardship, caretaking, and gracefully getting out of the way might invite refraction rather than erosion, fracturing, features. Dear Dada, perhaps it's not ground we lack, but spark. Not faces, spotlights. The phrase we inherited was, from the son of the man who built it, even though we learned the house was built by a Union Pacific brakeman and his wife, who together slurried cement with pebbles and inadvertent air pockets into a foundation that still stands. I woke with a phrase in my mind, from a dream dreamt in a small room in a small bed meant for a different person under an open window angled out toward a chemical sky meant for no one and everyone. The question was for Peggy Robles, who said, Other days I am a rough-faced girl, full of want and will, mouth and fist. The elm tree got hacked away in pieces, its tough papery bark sheared away once there was nothing left to protect. Perhaps it will become flame, flare, prayer. The question was, how do you shift from panic to transformation? Or as Fatty says, there isn't enough time or proximity for your essence or mine to vanish. Since the hawks had come to nest among the interlaced shadows of the leaves yearly with their young, I worried about having inhospitably removed their shaded perch, their former birth stillborn. Are we always other than ourselves? Or perhaps that is the query of a person irretrievably severed from their ancestry. After waking, a daily occurrence, I prepared the coffee, a daily occurrence, in a fancy and deliberate manner, gently insinuated into my life by a person I love dearly, daily. Hawks do not sing. They spiral and shout and shear. I do not require fancy coffee, though I do enjoy it when it is available. From the air's perspective, the electric hum of the streetlights along the closed alleyway lined with sour tangerine trees is a kind of ground, or perhaps a companion air. Every so often marbles surface in the garden, from the past perhaps, or the future. The transformation of a nail that once proposed the shape of a trolley. I do not require coffee as I require air, though I do enjoy it when it is available, almost always a daily occurrence. The Hudson River offered a different yet related question. How to mourn the future that will not happen? Everything I write is a letter to a person who cannot yet read and may never see these words even after he learns to decipher them. 
I'm not getting to the story I intended to tell. I can't get away from the troubled field of power you reference, Fatty, when you say, let's say that translation par excellence is the stereoisomerization of an original compound. The components don't change. The molecular constituents remain the same, but their properties noticeably differ as their spatial arrangement and polarity of and to light are altered. What do I know of the air's perspective? In the electric hum of power imbalance and white supremacist circulatory flutter, you might have wanted to call it chirality, two compounds that are non-superposable mirror images of each other, but it was deemed unacceptable, so instead of translation, there is transplant rejection or organ failure, the inability to breathe when apparently breathing is a sympathetic condition of human life, flutter ruffling the cellular collisions we cannot not reject, no matter how intently we refuse to look away. Hence, we founder. And sometimes we are found. The small human whose mother I am not demanded, spin me and spin me again, while two teenagers from San Diego played a cover of Ain't Nobody by Shaka Khan. Helga Davis spoke these words, one need not be a chamber to be haunted. The brain has corridors. In purple ink, I wrote a commitment to have a small dance party and read something every day. Memories, Helga intoned, are gestures. A running leap on the count of three. I might never hear anyone call me Mama again, but I did hear it once, or more than once. Definitively, I am not getting to the story. I own blame, though I don't believe in ownership, or so I say, from within a mortgaged life. I set my commitment free in the post-industrial runoff. An imperial life. Fatty calls it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That I mean, Rob. I'm sure you know much more than me, but it's um, it's hard as a friend of Jen's not to be thinking about all of the um, uh, biographical contents yes. in yeah. there. Yeah, connecting it up to, yeah, that's that's heavy, man. Yeah, there's a lot. Good. There's a lot there yeah. <laughs> to yeah. work with. Yeah, that's cool. Thanks, Jen. Yeah, great work. Yeah. It was stressful to make two poems in two weeks. That's a lot for me. Yes. Sure. Yeah, it's a lot. Should we should we check out my project? Yeah, yeah. let's do it. It's hard okay. to it's hard to conclude that one because it's yeah, just it's I know. It's it's um <laughs> let's look at my my silly pictures now. <laughs> so weighty. <Yeah. laughs> no, I made this thing out of wood. You might like it. <laughs> yeah so rob zero zero he's um calling back to challenge 53 the periscope where he was making a little uh table for a sewing machine that he could um raise and lower on a little miniature scissor lift Image number one and or number zero zero and number one is a shout out to the periscope. Uh, image number one is a beautiful image of the actual scissor lift with the actual sewing machine coming up through the actual periscopic hole in the table. I'm sort of scrolling through a bunch of these. I'm guessing that it's just that the um, if I recall from periscope, the project didn't really get completed, so we're returning to the project to make it work 
for real. <laughs> Maybe that's uh, the future nostalgia part that he was feeling nostalgic for the future in which he had the functional periscopic sewing machine. Yeah, yes. indeed. Um, yeah, so he's manufacturing um, some little up and down buttons. I think my favorite image is um, number nine, where <laughs> Rob is in the frame and looking really serious with some kind of headlamp on. <laughs> So wait, what do you think is happening, not to backtrack, but in image number six, that Ryobi uh, drill, mm -hmm. which is, so that's going to be what he uses to raise and lower the scissor lift. Is that correct? Right. Yeah, that's right. He's exposed the wires that are the innards of the Ryobi drill and has mm -hmm. little connectors attached to them. What do you think those are going to do? You probably just know the answer to that automatically, but I do not. It's because he uh, he doesn't want to have to grope for the trigger every time oh, it goes up right. and down. Yeah, so he's rewiring the buttons. Um, and then later on in the image series, we see that he's pulled those wires out. Got it. And has invoked a um, some kind of board as well. I'm curious about why. Uh, maybe that's just a motor controller. It looks like there's um, a um, an Arduino with a hat. Or a shield, I guess, is what they call the Arduino stuff. So I'm kind of surprised it requires that much circuitry. I'll be curious to hear what Rob, Rob, explain yourself. Well, maybe <laughs> it requires that much circuitry because it's going to like do all the mending. He's going to go to work and leave the stack of pants with blown out crotches, and he's going to come back, and they're going to be completely mended. <laughs> so if we look on um, the video, we can see the big payoff. So there's um, a scissor lift, right? Uh, the kind, maybe you've seen those um, job site little cars that get people up into the uh, rafters to take down, you know, stadium lights or something like that. So you've got a little miniature version. I believe mm -hmm. it was for lifting up a, a mansion block or something um, like that. A motorcycle. A motorcycle. motorcycle, yeah. Right. And then you have a, um, so Jen described the Ryobi cordless uh, drill. It's one of those that um, turns at a right angle at the last moment. Uh, which is a useful form factor because you can kind of plug it into the scissor lift, which is driven up and down uh, by means of a um, um, a threaded rod. So you need to turn that rod quickly if you want the scissor lift to go anywhere in a short period of time. So you're using the drill as kind of a high-torque scissor lift driver, but then you've also, um, as we described, pulled out the wires to move the switches to a different spot so that you can control it without just having to grab um, the, uh, the drill itself. But it seems, as Taylor said, it seems more, um, complicated than you're just moving the switch to be like on the outside of the table or something like that. It seems like there's more, I'm going to use a technical term here. There's more gunk happening. There's more um, gunk for sure. Yeah. More gunk. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Is it a speed control thing or what's the, uh, it is. Uh, yeah. Tell us why, why is that in there? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, um, there's a shield on top of the Arduino and the shield, uh, does motor control for the for the drill uh mm -hmm. and it takes a fairly beefy shield because the drill you know is a very high amperage um motor uh so i wanted to be able to do a couple of things one is i wanted to be able to regulate the speed control for safety reasons and also because it is quite the sewing machine's quite heavy so i wanted to be able to like have that under control but also without having to like squeeze the trigger at just the right um right. pressure you know and I'm going to eventually close up the drill and stuff. So you just have the buttons there probably. But then also the, the battery for the drill is powering the Arduino and the shield 
I'm using that little, you see a little silver box, which is um, mm-hmm. stepping the 18 volts from the battery down, which is another kind of side project that I was really curious about. Like, I feel like hand tool batteries are so common, but they're not, there isn't good interfacing, particularly even, there's like a couple of, uh, good I point. think Ryobi has like a USB, it doesn't even like charge your phone, but it's like, there's all these batteries we have, but we don't get to use them for anything. Um, so I was trying to think on like, how could you use like batteries from the home store and other applications. And so this was a kind of side way for me to explore like what well, you could power, power an Arduino and a shield, you know, and it, and I'd, the drill I'd love to see you make like a, a 3d printed, um, housing uh, that you yes. could use to plug a Ryobi battery into your phone. Totally. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cause it's a pretty big yeah. battery, you know, like you get a lot of charges, Sure. you know, so yeah. So that's, that's probably, it's in a, it's future nostalgia because it's sort of using kind of a microcontroller to control a very, very old technology, which mm. is the sewing machine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of wanted, I like stitching those two concepts together through the pr- a practice of sewing, which is becoming more and more seemingly rare uh, in our lives. Um, yeah. But with a sort of fancy microcontroller technologies. So yeah, I'm almost done. I, as you can see from the photos, uh, it was very uh, haphazardly wired together. And if you look at the dates on those screenshots, you'll see. Uh, <laughs> like, 6.45. Yes, 6.45 p.m. before we started recording at 7. <laughs> so. Wow, not bad. I can't tell. Is the video in fast mo or is it is. just a... Yeah. That is so cool, though. Wait, so you might have already said this. How did you uh-huh. modulate the speed of the drill? Because it's like the perfect speed. Yeah, with with the... Um, you can upload source code to the Arduino and... The Arduino, the board on top, there's like um, sort of code libraries that are already written. So you can sort of tell uh, the drill to, you can kind of command the speed that you want the uh, motor controller to run the motor at. And then also you can set reverse. So the bottom button is down and the top button is up. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw that. And I need to kind of put those buttons in a place that is hidden from kids because I don't want you to be able to push the button and also have your hand or someone else's hand in the... Yeah. And the scissor lift, you know. So I have some safety things to take care of. Divorce but, court junior. Yes, that's right. <laughs> but I, but I do like it because um I can. Yeah, I can I can put a tabletop, so I can use it for a standing desk tabletop, and then when I want to use the um, sewing machine, I can just run the press the button and have the sewing machine kind of emanate. I'd like to have a smoke machine too. It'd be cool to have like a heavy metal sewing machine. Like as it rises yeah. up out of the table. It's funny that you say that because in one of the images, let me see which one it is. It's um, it it looks like it's image fifteen. There's like I can't tell. I don't know what it is exactly, but there's some like little wispy smoke coming off of yes the drill or the yeah or the, the soldering iron or something. There was wispy smoke coming off of me from the hours of six <laughs> o'clock to seven o'clock. So. That's the thing about being a poet. No wispy smoke. Yes. I love also seeing people's notes on on the inside of stuff that's going to get hidden later. <laughs> I'm such yes. a dork about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've told Rob for years that I want this is not hidden notes necessarily, but that I want him to do an entire show just of the notes that he writes to people about how to put together and use the machines that he builds. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, oh yeah, didn't we talk about doing a show where um, everybody just builds each other's stuff? Like we all send each other instructions. Yeah, it's a good idea. Saluit, really, the millennial Saluit hashtag. Yes. For sure. Yeah. You can find photos of our finished projects over at our project site, projects.opposablepodcast.com. 
We also have links in our show notes and also post cool stuff to our Instagram account, which is opposable underscore podcast. We'd like to send you an opposable thumb sticker. If you share a podcast episode on social media, rate us on iTunes, send smoke signals or some other cool thing to let people know about the podcast, we will mail you a sticker. Just contact us on Instagram at opposable underscore podcast or at our email address, which is opposable podcast at gmail.com. We'd like to give a shout out to Wesley Ellis, Charlene McBride, Adam Mayer, Deb Chatra, Blondie Hacks, Nick Kantar, Walter Katundu, and David Bellhorn. They're our top Patreon supporters. If you'd like to join them in our league of Patreon supporter badasses, please go to patreon.com slash opposable thumbs to sponsor us. Anything you can donate really helps keep the podcast going. Our podcast is dedicated to providing a harassment-free experience for everyone, regardless of race, gender, age, sexual orientation, disability, physical appearance, body size, knowledge of subject matter, or religion, or lack thereof. We actively support an inclusive environment, and we want you to be a part of it. You can check out our full code of conduct over at our site. Um, so, Jen, we, we asked our guests if they have any links they want to share, both to their own work or to friends of theirs. Do you have anything that you want to share? I do, and the first thing I want to share is... Um, the amazing artist from whom I got the idea to do an animated text essay um, is Sawako Nakayasu, who is a poet oh. and translator and a awesome. performance artist, very close friend of Violet Juno, who was on episode 13 of Opposable Thumbs. Um, and people can go to the website and there's a link to her doing a performance of um, she makes performances where she sits on stage and instead of reading her work, she has you read her work. I just sent you a little YouTube um, cool. on the Slack. Um, so, and she's an amazing translator and poet. So I really recommend that folks check out her work. And I really appreciate the inspiration to make an essay that would be read either quietly or aloud um, by other humans. So thank you, Sawako. Um, then... I was, I don't know if this happened to the two of you, but I um, noticed tons of references to nostalgia all of a sudden everywhere I went the last two weeks. Um, one of the things that I've been listening to is Jad Abumrad from Radiolab has a wonderful podcast called Dolly Parton's America. Um, it's mm -hmm. at NPR.org. And in episode three, titled Tennessee Mountain Trance at minute 2640, Jad is talking about urbanization and the ways that folks leave the country for the city and how they feel nostalgic for their home um, and that this led to the rise of country music. And he says, and he's talking about Esther Conquera, who's a Kenyan musician who sings some Dolly Parton covers. And he says this beautiful thing. Um, the music became a kind of souvenir of the place they left. But what struck me about Esther is that she was missing the place she left before she even left it. She was imagining her future self, looking back on her present self and missing the moment that she was actually still standing in. Wow. So that, that seemed like a really perfect description of some kind of nostalgia. Um, That's great. So those are the things I mostly wanted to mention. And also for those of you who are going to experiment with making text on video and you would like to know how long do you leave each frame up? Uh -huh, um, uh -huh. And you might have noticed I had different amounts of text on each frame. And yeah. I'm a poet, so I'm comfortable with silence. So it was okay with me that it didn't read perfectly smoothly. But there is probably there's a thousand websites that do this. But I was really enjoying the read-o-meter, um, which Ooh. you can find at the link that I will drop into the Slack right now. Awesome. We'll put it in show notes. Taylor, did you have anything that you uh, wanted to share? 
Uh, just the uh, the link to the Dictionary of Obscure Sorrows, which right. I was enjoying. It it, it wasn't uh, primary to my project, but uh, that's where I got started. So give those guys a shout out. Awesome. I have one thing, and it's a secret project. It'll be in show notes. And the link is called AtariMiddleAgeRiot.com. <laughs> <laughs> and it's my new blog. And blogging is very future, future nostalgia. Excellent. <laughs> Uh, Jen, where can we find out about your work? Well, apparently you can find out about it on Wikipedia. Um, yes. But you can also go to the websites of my two collectives, which I will send you some links, but those are Antena Aire. Our website is antenaantena.org. And then my local collective, Antena Los Angeles, um, which you might say as Antena Los Angeles.org. Um, and you can also look for a forthcoming book from Antena Aire on this wonderful, small, independent collective press out of Brooklyn called The Operating System that will come out in fall of 2020. We just had a chapbook um, come out from the wonderful autonomous small press project in Oakland called Tripwire. Um, so you can look for that. And I have a book of translations of a wild, queer, beautiful Uruguayan writer named Virginia Lucas coming out next year from Litmus Press. And if you want to see some of Antena Aide's installation work, um, we will be having make, building a platform for Central American art and writing um, as part of a show opening at the Tufts University Museum of Art in Boston next year. So you can look out for that. Wow. Awesome. Jen Hoffer, do you have a challenge for us for our next guest? Jen, what is the challenge? Do tell. The challenge is breathing. Breathing. Uh, something I'm familiar with. Yes. I think I've done that once or twice. As my granny <laughs> used to say, in and out all day. You got to do it. As I once kind of uncharitably told a student who was having a lot of trouble, I said, breathe in, breathe out, and don't stop. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I felt bad for being so catty. Excellent. I think I'm going to be able to make something out of this, although I got a, I got a mullet. That's good. I heard a really good um, concept the other day about driving. And it was the first rule of driving is the cars should never touch. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, no, it's not the it's not the falling; it's the landing. Yeah, right. And so I don't know if this was clear from my poems because sometimes information gets transmitted in unusual ways in poems. But um, I just want to say out loud that I have a very close friend who I love a lot who's having some trouble breathing, and so that is where that challenge oh, came from. Wow. So hopefully, whatever you make will help that friend breathe in and out. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Thanks for the backstory on the, on yep. the reading challenge. Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Jen, thank you so much for being a guest. It only yeah. took two years of asking. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Thank, thanks so much, Jen. Of course, your work is amazing. Your poetry is awesome. The podcast is better for having your work in it. Happy birthday. Yeah. Late. <laughs> on time. I gave you the gift on time. It just took a while yeah. to actualize. Yeah. All right, gang. Well, that was a blast. Thanks yeah. so much for doing it. Bye. I did not obfuscate it.